My name is Jason Doldine, and I'm the host of Reaching Roots, a podcast with a goal to make life easier for parents and families so they can reach further. We're talking to people who inspire us with their journey, tell us about the problems they are solving, and provide us insight that helps us and our children learn and grow. critical skill for children to make sense of the world around them. It starts early with play, observing patterns and shapes, looking at and counting objects. Math then becomes an important component of education and a requirement if a student is to have any success in STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Math, and Engineering. Many students don't even consider STEM fields because they lack confidence in their own math skills. For Marsha, it was not grades, but all the hobbies and creative projects, things that she dreamed up, problem solved, and figured out on her own that kept her on course. Math is so important to success in STEM fields that Marsha has created fun experiments that show the magic and power of math. She also encourages girls in STEM and enjoys developing experiments to give girls fun experiences with science, engineering, and math. Marsha spent 35 years at GE Aviation and has a PhD in engineering. Today, her passion as an engineer and an author is to help students survive and thrive in STEM. In this episode, we talk to Marsha about how you can help set your kids up for success in math, build the resilience that comes from learning from failure, and empower them to follow their dreams, even when it gets tough. Welcome, Marcia. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Jason. I yeah. love your podcast and your whole theme, um, okay. helping parents with their um, with their kids and their education. Oh, awesome! Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, hopefully, uh, our parents see a lot of value in it, also. <laughs> So Marsha, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, just uh, some of your background and what's kind of uh, created this, uh, this passion that you have around uh, math and STEM? Well, um, so I was one of the earlier women engineers. So I graduated from Purdue University in 1981 in mechanical engineering. And there were only about 10% of my graduating class were women. Um, I went on to GE, got my master's and later my PhD there and uh, while working full time. And in, in more recent years, I've been volunteering with Girl Scouts Year of the Girl um, STEM program. So an after school program and we also have STEM summer camp. And I just love working with girls, especially middle grade age, because I feel like that was a period of time in me, a period of time for me that really helped me when I got my first E ever in physics, electricity and magnetism, sophomore year at Purdue. And I was like, holy crap. Um, I've never gotten a D before. C's were not that common. A little bit more common in college than high school. It's like, well, do I tough it out? I didn't want to be a quitter, but I didn't know if I had what it took to succeed. And when I dug down deep, it 
It wasn't the awards my high school physics project had won that helped me to stay the course. It was all the crazy things I dreamed up, problem solved, and figured out on my own as a kid in elementary school. And so I have a real passion for trying to empower the engineer in everyone and help kids develop problem solving skills, help them learn from failing, help them build their self-esteem and their confidence so that they can pursue their dreams no matter what that is. Got it. So take us back to sort of elementary school and, and what were some of those kind of cool creative projects that you dreamed up? Well, okay, so my sister and I always like you know, designing our dream houses. So we'd, we'd go to Homerama in Cincinnati. At one point we were in California looking at houses and we'd take all the floor plans. And so we would build our dream houses and kind of to scale, so we'd measure it out. But we'd figure out, you know, how big did we want the master bedroom? We always had to fit an Olympic-sized swimming pool in. <laughs> um, so we, we would do layouts like that. Um, I loved art. So, so um, drawing and painting were hobbies. I would have this map project where, you know, hey, we traveled here. I wanted to create this old map. So I'd, I'd trace that picture and then I'd burn the edges with a candle to kind of age it and give it that aged effect. Um, I also did a lot of sewing. And... That's something that I found that a lot of women of my age, so um, obviously if I graduated from Purdue in 81, I'm in my early 60s now, yeah. but a lot of the women engineer of my generation, a lot of us grew up sewing. And I don't think it's a coincidence because you don't learn to sew without ripping. So you make mistakes, you rip it out, you figure out how to put it together, but you're learning how to build clothes. and. In elementary school, that's making doll clothes, okay? But you learn all the pieces. You learn how things go together. I was learning industrial engineering, how to set up my workstation efficiently. So I had my seam ripper and my scissors at hand. I could change my thread easily or my needle. Um, I figured out my process for laying out fabric and cutting it out. I was learning program management because I was figuring out, okay, how, how long does it take me to do this? How much material do I need to buy? Right. all these things and then you then you get and you don't even get classes and all of that at school yeah but you need it on the job so it's like i was always good at project management because i've been managing my own projects right um my dad was a woodworker so i got to watch him build stuff and i designed like in high school i designed a custom built desk that my dad made for me but I designed, you know, what I wanted the surface to be. And I had a side extension instead of drawers on one side. I, want, I wanted stuff for my art supplies. And I wanted a typing table extension and more room for art supplies in that. And he would make adjustments based on what he needed to be able to put the desk together. It's like, well, I can't quite do this because I need to be able to assemble it here. And by the way, it's got to fit through the doorway. So we got to yeah. be able to assemble and disassemble. So I was learning all these things by doing and working with my dad and working on my own. And I think that's where I really learned great problem solving skills was just, you know, when you're in the driver's seat with your own hobbies, the motivation's built in. So your success in learning is greatly, your odds are greatly increased because you're, you're motivated. Right. Um, and problem solving is all about the learner being in control. So you have, you have a problem or a challenge, you make a choice. How are you going to solve that problem? Then you get feedback and then you make course right. corrections. Yeah. And it's one of the more difficult skills to teach, but it's the most transferable of all the content you're going to get in school. 
Sure. So you can learn it on your hobbies. Yeah. It's a lot harder for a Girl Scout troop leader to teach a bunch of girls in an hour and a half session after school how to solve a problem than it is for those girls to go think of a real project that they want to tackle and start taking it on their own. Yeah, and so, figure, figure it out themselves. And so, I had a lot of free time in elementary school. My, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I had summers that I got to play and create and invent and try stuff. And it was wonderful. Yeah, no, that's Sometimes, very cool. So what do you tell, I mean, you know, little, little girls or little kids, you know, obviously, you know, in hindsight, you understand that these things were, were program management or project management uh, or even problem solving, right? I mean, these words <laughs> are kind of foreign to, to kids. So how do we break it down for them and sort of keep them interested? Because I feel like as, if you start using these kind of words, we'll, we'll lose them. Well, so there are so many great after-school programs and STEM activities that organizations have, okay? So there's lots of opportunity to engage. Um, and I think that for girls, it's like, and for parents in particular, I would say, give your kids the creative space to just try stuff on their own and encourage them to have hobbies and to tinker and, and they don't have to tinker with bikes. So you don't have, to, there's not just one path to engineering, but to recognize, help them recognize the problem solving that they are doing in their hobbies and help them to see that, hey, you didn't just, you know, create a model Barbie store or something like this, or you didn't just do a racetrack, but look, you know, you're learning something about modeling or program management or engineering. And um, one of the things I've seen, some of the experiments I've loved for Girl Scouts. So um, I have a golden retrieve. Okay, so I, one of my favorite all-time activities was this cardboard boat race that I organized for our, our preliminary design group at GE when um, we had a Christmas in February. So the budget at the end of the year was tight, got cut off. So we got to have our Christmas party in February. And we we're looking for a team building event. And I came across this build a boat thing. It was like, and they wanted like 5,000 bucks. I thought, heck no. You know, <laughs> we just moved. We've got a stack of cardboard boxes. What do you need to build a cardboard boat? You need cardboard, you need duct tape, you need plastic tablecloths and a pool to test it in. And the GE Fitness Center, I called them. They said they'd already checked it out for another group we could use the pool for free. Cool. Um, the materials were dirt cheap. My manager agreed to, you know, half a day off work on a Friday afternoon. And I pulled together a table that would let you size a boat based on volume of water displaced and how much weight you wanted to carry. So I, I helped with the design decisions. And we drew MacGyver style for that. So I've done, since then I've done, I've led several years of buoyancy cardboard boat experiments in summer camp. And I've also done a school visit that was really, really successful where the kids learn about buoyancy and then I show them, okay, once you understand how to predict whether something's going to float or not, okay, now you can use it to design something. So now you've got a math model and that's the cheapest model you're ever going to have because before you even cut cardboard or duct tape or anything, you can size it and make some decisions. Yep. And so I take them through a real simple process from you know, here's volume of water displaced. Okay, here's the volume of a rectangle. Okay, now here's some options for if you want to carry 100 pounds, 150, 250 pounds, here's some sizing options. And then I show a picture of my golden retriever 
surfing on a surf boat in the ocean, which is actually what our team solution was for the cardboard boat race, because there was going to be this battle boats challenge I was afraid of, and I didn't want to get sunk. So yeah. we were unsinkable. We won all the races, and I had so much fun with it. I had to build an over-designed system that I took my dogs <laughs> surfing in the ocean at Hilton Head. And then later, I improved the design. I made it um, lighter weight, simple waterproofing. My first design, I actually had to design a beach cart to haul it to the to the beach. It was a little too heavy to carry from our our place, which is about a ten minute walk. But yeah, you know, and I and when so I take pictures of my dogs on the surf boat, and the and the girls are like, I could do that. I had a girl talk to me. I was like, I I could design a surfboard. You know, and they see that. Hey, this is something you could use right now, yeah. and if you know just basic math you know two times three times four right okay you substitute length times width times depth so you know you have basic multiplication division yeah we just substitute letters and you can you can come up with some cool designs yeah it strikes me i mean obviously when kids start to learn math in school um they're just learning the math right they're not learning mm -hmm. the application of the math and so it strikes yeah. me almost like, uh, you know, like as you're talking, you know, obviously I have an engineering background too, so I kind of get excited about some of this stuff, right? But I mean, it's exciting <laughs> just to see like build real things and put them in water and, you know, they're actually working. So I just wonder, I mean, you know, what age should you be starting to kind of like help make that connection between math and application of math? Because, you know, for parents, they probably struggle to do that at early ages. Well, so, okay. And- yeah and okay full disclosure we weren't able to have kids okay so i don't have all the experience of you know taking a kid from you know birth to high school and everything um with girl scouts i've worked with um, kindergarten through cadet through so like kindergarten through like eighth grade and um certainly middle grade this is dead within their wheelhouse Right. Um, you don't have to have algebra to, in fact, I like to get them exposed to this way before they get to algebra so that algebra will not be scary and irrelevant to them when they reach it. They'll be like, okay. oh yeah, bring on the algebra. Got it, got it's it. It's just, it's just numbers with secret, you know, secret Letters. identities, <laughs> A or B or C or V or W or this funky, so you know, upside down. Yeah. So what are, what are some of those things that we could do to actually that parents can do to kind of, um, you know, tie that math together to applications um, before they get to algebra? Well, the so the the cardboard boat experiment, and these are all on my website. In fact, I also have a series of of middle grade books that I write stories about to try and change attitudes um, and get kids excited about the fun side of math, the fun side of science and engineering. So I've got experiments on my website, putneydesigns.com. Um, so I'd say the younger age, if they if they don't have basic multiplication, so if they can't do two times three equals six, yeah. that's maybe a little bit early then. But if they can do two times three is six, I mean, one of the things I did for was it fourth or fifth grade, I um, the after school program. I we had we were supposed to give them advice on what classes to take, and so I gave them a simple beam bending experiment. And I was figuring this out lunch, so I took a plastic plastic knife, and I did like three pages of you know just 
you know, 11 by 17, you know, wrote down the beam bounding stuff and said, okay, if you can do two times three times four, okay, you can take this and you can predict that this knife, if I hold it, okay, so the I-beam way, so the skinny side um, in the middle and the narrow edge on top, so the flat stuff is on the side, so I-beam way, that this is not gonna deflect hardly at all. If I turn it so it looks like a diving board, I'm gonna get quite a lot more deflection. Right. So that, that from a few simple equations, I can plug some numbers in and show that I'm gonna get at least 10x more bending deflection with this flat side down, as opposed to if I have the flat side vertical. Yeah, yeah, the skinny side up kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, maybe, maybe we can kind of just like um, try to switch it to, you know, you, we talk about sort of math and math really being important. And, you know, I'd hope to kind of answer the question for parents in terms of like, how can they get their kids set up for success in math? So what would you recommend? Like, you know, if we broke this down like baby steps, right? And you just take a kid that's uh, kind of a middle grade, you know, how do we get them interested in this and how do we sort of like help them be successful? Well, I, if I can, I always like to start with your interest or something that is interesting to the kid. So like with the girls, I found out that I had a really cute golden retriever and they would just drool at pictures of my golden retriever on a surf boat. So it's like, okay, if I start with, you know, hey, cute dog on a surf boat and wouldn't you like to take your dog into a pool and have them surf? Right. Take them to the ocean and hey, you can build this and here's how we're going to how we're going to approach it. Um, so that would be one way. Um, if they are sewing or woodworking, any of those projects where you're building stuff, you got to figure out what materials do you need? How am I going to lay it out? What do I need to buy? Um, so anything that is, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what dimensions are needed. Okay, how much is this going to cost? How big do I really need it to be? In, in my first book, I do a rapid prototyping process on a sitopon. So the kids are at this new experimental STEM STEAM school, and their art teacher wants them to make a sitopon so that they can go sketching, they can go to the ocean and sketch at the ocean or go to a lagoon. Right. Um, and the challenge is to do it using stuff that they have at home. So the first challenge there is, okay, what size does it need to be? Okay, if you want to sit down cross-legged, how much padding do you need? Do you need padding? Um, but those are things you can grab an Ikea bag and a tape measure and a piece of paper and a pencil and write down, okay, how big does this need to be? Right. What materials um, needs to be water resistant? What materials can you choose? Um, then you challenge yourself, well, do you really need this padding? Um, in the book, I discover bubble wrap doesn't really pop when you plop down on it. So that's lighter weight than the 1960s Girl Scouts sit upon that were, you know, woven newspaper and dead heavy and covered with oil cloth. Right. So, you know, just look at what you have on hand, figure out what you can do with it. And then, you know, show them, hey, you know, this is a simple math model. Do you want it to carry a sketch pad? What size is your sketch pad? Okay, nine by 12, eight and a half by 11. Okay, it needs to be at least this big. So just coming up with simple projects and doing some problem solving. Got it. And so do you have a list of some of these projects? Yeah, they're on my website. So if you go to putneydesigns.com under the STEM menu, yep. um, and in fact, from last year, Girl Scout summer camp was virtual. 
So I led five experiments last year. And, and what were those? So we did egg drop. That was okay. So my egg drop is not like everybody's egg drop. Okay, so I get into some of the physics behind it so that you can see, you know, the effect of mass and velocity. And, you know, do you have a dummy that you can use? So I actually look at the fracture pattern on the eggshell and look at, okay, hard boiled egg versus fresh egg. And I beg the egg. So it's not messy. So if you crush your, um, your fresh egg, it's in a plastic bag and you don't have a lot of mess to clean up. Um, so, and then, then I give a couple of challenges like, okay, so inside the box. So if you in a container, think outside the box, or even if you want to try and do a hang glider thing. So I kind of have three categories if you want to get really, really wonky. And then I look at mass springs and dampers and what element is going to help you most in an egg drop system. So I've got some great videos and handouts for that. So that was the first one. Cardboard catapult. The first experiment I helped with in Girl Scouts, um, the after school program, was a wood catapult. And I had such a blast. I had to go and, and look at the physics and derive the equations for, okay, what's the trajectory and what's the optimum angle and how can you predict all this? Right. Um, and then we had problems getting the kits. So I was working on a nonfiction book at one point for some experiments and I wanted things that you could build at home. And I came up with the design for a cardboard catapult. Right. Um, so I've got a bunch of, so I've got videos on the cardboard catapult making it and then we did a separate one on the testing it and predicting how far it's going to go and looking at okay it's a kinetic well it's an energy storage device you change potential energy into kinetic energy and so you've got the rubber band and you know you got a frame that supports the lever arm and i just use a wood stir stick and a little condiment cup to carry the projectile and then it's just cardboard and duct tape right and i actually have a, a design that loop lets you change the incidence angle so that you can have multiple lever arm angles. Okay, so, so what else you got? There? So those are two, then I did the cardboard boat. Yeah. Um, so, which is kind of, it's kind of a two-part experiment. So there's the buoyancy piece and then the build the cardboard boat. So if you already understand what buoyancy is, then you're ready to do the cardboard boat, but you can break that down into two. And then- Like these four experiments that you've got on your website. And what, what do you think the age group is for people to try those? Um, I would say, well, you could try them at any age. I would say probably um, second grade on, certainly by fourth grade. Okay. And, right. and some of them, you know, it's like if you get into, and you can do these experiments on different levels too, right? right. So you can do it as, hey, let's just, you know, rapid prototyping, you can do that at any age. Just right. take something you want to make and here's feedback and here's okay. here's how you learn. So it seems like you've got, you've got a lot of this information on your website today. Yeah. Okay. So what would your advice be to kind of like parents? Um, you know, should they be doing, uh, what I'm hearing from you is like, obviously there's a, there's the there's a formal kind of school education around math, but what you're, what I'm kind of hearing or reading between the lines is that pick experiments and try to make it more applicable, try to make what they're learning more applicable with the, with the, with the health of experiments. Is and that- I would, Yeah, I would, I would go one step further in that um, the Greater Cincinnati STEM Collaborative did a conference a few years ago and the, the math thing is a big thing for kids. Um, some kids just have this math phobia and a lot of times parents have bad attitudes about math or they have attitudes of, you're never gonna use this. 
Right. So I'm guessing the people on your podcast are being proactive and they're not going to be in that category. But the first thing I would say as a parent is present a positive attitude about math. Right. Because your attitudes shape your kids' attitudes. Right. And so if you can um, help support them and be excited about, oh, yeah, math is cool. Algebra is super cool. It's not just the word problems. Yeah, you can do so point. much with it. Yeah. Just shaping those attitudes and encouraging them that, yeah, okay, memorizing the multiplication tables maybe isn't a lot of fun, but that's the foundation for all this other cool stuff you're going to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, so Marcia, what's, what's been some of the challenges that you've kind of faced, um, you know, trying to get your message out? Well, okay, so as an, as an indie author, it's just, you know, getting the word out there and, you know, connecting with other people. And, you know, I've been especially active in the last year. Well, actually my first book came out when COVID hit. So it's like trying to do school visits during COVID. It's like, it's just tough. So um, part of that is just, you know, getting on podcasts, getting the word out there, um, trying to do some in-person events and really work with the kids. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. So what would be your hope for your audience? So my hope for my audience would be that regardless of whether a girl or a boy goes into a STEM field, that they come away from some of my books and experiments with an attitude of, oh, I can do this. And what I do today matters. So I can do cool stuff today. I can, I can learn problem solving skills while playing and having fun. And, and that's going to help me later on in other courses I take, because really the best thing you learn at, you know, engineers are problem solvers. And, and you can look at that as you're really learning how to learn because you're going to be solving problems that maybe, you know, in the future that exists that you didn't have a course on. Right. So you're going to be solving problems that we don't even know about yet. And regardless of whether you go into engineering or not, I trust, trust me, you know, life is messy. So, you know, when your mom's condo floods and you got to figure out, okay, what, what do I need to do? And I got to price this and I got to get this done. I got to get the place dried out and I got to change carpeting. And I got, you know, when things hit you and you're able to solve tough problems, then the, the hard stuff doesn't, isn't so hard anymore. It's like, okay, I know how to manage projects. I, I can deal with this. Yeah. yeah. And it just sets you up for success in so many other ways. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So, you know, there is a question that I ask my audience usually, which is, you know, um, is there one feeling that they have as a parent that they would rather not feel? Now you don't have, you don't have kids, but. Um, I had you- dogs. I had furry kids. Great. So, you know, is there, is there a feeling that you, whether it's, you know, not having kids or whether it's having sort of, uh, you know, your pets as kids that you have that you would, the feeling that you would rather not have? Um, I guess the, I'm not sure if I'm going to answer this question the way that you intended, um, but let me share this insight. Um, One of the things that I've learned actually uh, is, so we've had dogs since like 1987 and I couldn't teach Tizer how to heal off lead to pass a test in a show to save his soul because he only learned jerk and pull. So he only learned what he was doing wrong. And I think one thing I've learned with 
clicker training with dogs is the cool problem solving skills that it unlocks because clicker training focuses on positive reinforcement. So it's like, I don't have to correct Harry, my golden retriever for everything he does wrong. It's, I'm more effective if I notice the things he's doing right. And I reinforce that. So with dogs, it might be with treats or a game. And if he's doing something I don't like, if it's not a safety issue, if I just kind of ignore it, that behavior is not going to get stronger unless it's self-rewarding. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, from a parent's perspective, I would say, figure out what your kid's doing well right now that you can reinforce and, and recognize them for. Yeah. And don't split all the small stuff. Yeah. Build them up because especially for girls, I feel like we tend to be perfectionists. Yeah. And there's one of the one of the statistics is, you know, over half of college uh, students are women, but fewer than twenty five percent are in STEM fields, especially engineering. Yeah. So, in my own personal experience, um, you know, my roommate was acing aerospace engineering, and she dropped it and changed into languages. Right. So, women, if if we can't be perfect, we're more likely to change into something that we can be perfect in yeah. Yeah. and guys are more resilient with failure so um just anything you can do to build that grit and problem solving resiliency yeah that's an excellent point because you know as parents we have um such busy lives and we tend to focus on all the things that we don't want our kids to do versus sort of you know focusing on on, on making sure that they understand the things that they're doing well and rewarding them for them that's great. So um, you talked earlier about where people can reach you. Um, maybe just repeat that again for the audience before we close. Okay. My website is putneydesigns.com. P-U-T-N-E-Y designs with an S.com. And so I use it as a noun and a verb. So, yep. And you can see my design projects. Um, some of my quilts is a hobby. I've got a cool Millennium Falcon quilt that I did for my uh, two great nephews. Um, and then all the STEM experiments and projects and then information about my books. Awesome. That's so good. Well, good to have you here, Marcia. Thanks for being on. So happy to be on your podcast, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. We would really appreciate if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or send us any feedback to reachingroots at wishslate.com. Also, download the Wishslate app to help organize wish lists for your family and change the way you gift. You can download this from www.wishslate.com slash download.